Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for episode 45. But before we get too far into this, we do want to take a second to thank our sponsors. First up, we have Stickerfy, Stickerfy.com. They made a wonderful sticker for us, and they want to do the same for you. Make sure to head over to Stickerfy.com. Also, we have No Love City, No Love City, the home of the official full-color Urban Robot Cat t-shirt. You can use the code UrbanRobotCat at checkout and you'll receive 10% off your order, nolovecity.com. We also have SD Prints, sdscreenprinting.net, where you can get some wonderful screen-printed product to sell via your Etsy store or anything like that. You can head over to sdscreenprinting.net and check out everything they have to offer. And finally, we have TYO Toys, tyotoys.com, where you can get some wonderful DIY platforms to put your own original spin on or just have a cool van for your desk. Make sure to head over to tyotoys.com. So, Chris... Episode 45. 45. Coming up on uh, 52 weeks of episodes. We're, we're getting there. We've only got a, you know seven more weeks. You know what that means, right? I take vacation. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that means after episode 52, we move on to season two. We talked about this, I don't know, 20 episodes ago. Like, when do we decide uh, what, what a season is? And I think we're coming up pretty close. So 52, which would be a year of content. So I think that's probably what we should do. But that's pretty crazy that we're coming up on a year. Because if I do remember correctly, our first episode went up in October of 2019. So, you know, we did miss a couple of weeks throughout the year. Um, So I guess now we're seeing the results of that. But we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of Urban Robot Cat. That's pretty crazy. We should probably just quit now, right? Do one year and then call it. Just be like, you know, like to some of those bands that release one album and then everybody wishes they came back for like 30 years. Well, I mean, the, you know, the Misfits did that. It worked out pretty well for them. Yeah. How many sold out shows? Tickets were like $2,000 for certain seats. I saw a interview um, where they were talking to them and they said back in the 70s, the biggest show they'd ever played was like 3,200 people. And they, you know, now they've sold out the Staples Center for like three days in a row or whatever it was. So that's pretty crazy, right? That's definitely crazy. So Chris, what have you been up to? I'm getting older. So yeah, last week I got older. People love the uh, the cake reference in the last episode. People seem to remember those crunchies that Corey and I had never heard of. So City Kitty killed me with that drawing. I loved it. Happy 29th birthday to me. 29 and holding. I think it worked out well. It just stuck on 29 for the past few years. Uh, nah, I've been um, I've been working on a bunch of commission pieces and uh, starting to gear up to work on the solo stuff for the show in December. And that's about it. The weather's starting to change, so since the weather's changing, it's creeping back into the episodes. We only talk about it when it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Corey? What have you been up to? Packing, 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 and then uh, we received a shipment of a toy that we've been trying to make for the last year. Uh, we kind of started like pretty much right when the podcast started. And I thought it was finished. I opened the box, found that like 75% are duds, and they have to remake them, which I'm still waiting to hear back from the factory. When you think you're out, they pull you back in. Yeah, I don't know. It's being a store and production and wholesale and then doing the gallery next year. It's all adding more and more stress. What happens? Do they scrap all those ones? or? No, not usually. I mean, I've never had this many that had issues usually it's like i don't know less than 10 percent, and the factory will just make the replacements and ship them at no cost okay Um, so i don't know if they're going to ask me to ship them back so they can try to salvage them i don't really see how they can so so typically what happens is a gallery like strange cat toys or strange cat gallery 
have a custom show. Yeah, that's <laughs> where most customs come from. Nice. Be, this would be a big invite list, though. <laughs> but no, a lot of times that's what happens with uh, bad pools and stuff like that. Is you know they get held back and turned into custom pieces. Just so you know, I paint toys now. So just send me whatever you want me to paint. Oh, you did, you didn't know you're in all the uh, the shows next year. I saw on your on your Instagram you added uh, I paint toys to the to the description. I I reserved uh, chrisrdbktoypainter.com. What about you, Travis? What have you been up to? Uh, just more, you know, prepping for the prepping for the baby. The crib's supposed to be here tomorrow, so we get to put that together, and then the room will be pretty much together. Got to do all the laundry, you know, all the fun stuff, and then fold it all and uh, put it in the drawers. So should be, uh, you know, getting pretty pretty close here. We're actually only like six weeks out, so I, uh, you know, about ready to embark on this new thing that's going to be a major change for my life, but uh, I'm excited about it. It doesn't sound like it when I say that, but I am. So I think it'll be more of a change for your dogs <laughs> than me. Yeah, your dogs seem to be like, what the fuck happened to my life? Well, I was uh, cleaning up, so we were, you know, we had the construction, and out of that construction, we moved a bunch of stuff around, and I uh, was going through some final boxes, you know, kind of donating some stuff, pulling some stuff back, and I found this book that I forgot I had. Um, so listeners that enjoy like artwork and stuff like that, there's this really cool book that came out back in 2007 by Urshigro. Uh, do you know his work, Chris? He's like a Japanese tattoo and, uh, he also did like street, street art. This oh, yeah. book was put out by Upper yeah. Playground. It's called Love Hate from JP. Yeah. It's a really cool book and I forgot I had it and I was checking it out again. I was like, man, I, I absolutely love this guy's work. Need to, need to see some more modern stuff because I haven't looked at him in a while. Yeah, as I say, I'm not sure what he's up to nowadays. I don't even know what Upper Playground does anymore. I don't think they do anything anymore, to be honest with you. I don't know if they're still a clothing brand or not. But they used to do some really cool stuff back in the mid-2000s and late-2000s, too. Well, the early the early 2000s, they, they kind of jumped off and M and Digital Gravel. And then, uh, so, Urshagro, you had a toy that uh, was pretty popular. It's, the name is escaping me at the moment, but he had a toy by Secret Base that was uh, pretty popular back in the day. Um, it's like a skull. It really it represents his work really well, and uh, also had like an urban feel to it. So if you enjoy kind of cool skull type artwork, make sure to check out Ursagro. Love it. Love hate from JP. Um, this book may not be available because I think it was like limited edition, but you might be able to find it on the old eBay or something like that. So that's our our week review of weird old stuff. You got a box of toys in too, didn't you? I did. The toys that I got in are actually called Besties by the artist duo The Bots. And it is a um, two different dogs. One's a French Bulldog. One is a Boston Terrier. They're named Nacho and Rosie. And uh, we'll be releasing those this week. So that'll be pretty exciting, you know, to get those out in the in the world. We've been kind of playing with them for about the past year. Uh, we revealed the prototypes back at Decon 2019, and uh, yeah, so we revealed them back then, and you know, we've been working on them a little bit here and there, you know, ever since. So it's great to finally get them in, and they uh, they look great. So I'm pretty excited to get them released and see what the re- reaction is by the fans. And do they stand? They do. Oh, nice. So for those that haven't seen them, they have really big head, like a really big head, and really tiny feet. So Chris was uh, been saying, I don't know if those are going to stand ever since I showed him pictures of them. So they do. And they also survived a mini earthquake test on my desk. And I videotaped it and sent it to Chris. And he was like, oh, not bad. And side note, that book is uh, still available on, on Amazon. Well, there you go. It's a pretty cool little book. And you know what? Saying that name, it totally just brought me back. I haven't looked at his work in years. It's amazing work. I got to look him up on Instagram. I'm sure he's on there. You know, buy the book? 
Am I going to buy the book? I don't have money to buy books. I'm laid off, and I'm an artist. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm still not a career artist. I don't think you've learned this yet. Come on. We are not just here to talk about books from 2007, though, guys. We do have a guest that's on the line. Coming to us from halfway around the world, we have Mumbot. Welcome to the show. Hey. So uh, for folks that may not know who you are, could you give us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do in the world of art? I make art. I make toys. And so have you uh, been creating like your entire life or is it something you kind of started doing kind of later in life? I've been creating my entire life. I've been drawing uh, since I was a little, little toddler. And so then from, you know, did you then continue on with that like throughout high school and then did you go to school for art or did this something that you just kind of kept doing you know independently self-taught type stuff yeah so that's a good question because i i do it's weird i consider myself self-taught but i don't like to use self-taught because i did go to art school but i went to art school to, to learn specific skills like animation and it was i was in the film department animation film department so I took, you know, all kinds of classes and for sure it like helped me develop my art skills as well being in art school, but like art was my main focus my entire life since I was like a child. So, um, I used to actually sell my artwork to buy my lunch in in high school and nice. uh, yeah, I used to do all kinds of drawings for other kids. I would I had one kid who always asked for like sexy anime girls. Oh no. <laughs> Special request. It was it was weird, and the other weird part was realizing that he was spending his lunch money. That's how bad he wanted these like cute anime girls. And I started to not do it anymore when he started asking for like cleavage and stuff. You were like, no, no, this is weird. Yeah, it got really weird, and and I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. <laughs> and that's when you realized you had a limit. I had I had a limit there, and um. That wasn't my first run-in, though, with uh, creeps. It, I actually, this is probably, I don't know, I'm going in right now, but <laughs> I had a art teacher in sixth grade who always gave me A-pluses when I drew short skirts on the girls that I drew. So, Yikes. Yeah. Pull out the short skirts, guys. We're going to get this A. <laughs> if I did, like, some epic pumpkin patch thing that I was super excited about or, like, with ghosts or, like, anything, you know, that I was super about I got like a B. There's a pumpkin just with a short skirt <laughs> attached to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I can. I guess I can give the guy like. I guess I can give the guy credit that was you know spending his lunch money on it. Like, okay, you're a kid, you're a teenager. Okay, I'll give you that. Teacher, no pass. Well, it's, and it's creepy that I was a teacher. Like that's even yeah. Like- yeah, but I did pay for lunches for a decent amount of time doing that. And was yeah. this in in Vegas? Yes. And back in Vegas, and actually, I painted murals for local thrift shops that I used to hang around. I'd ride my bike or my skateboard over to some local um, thrift stores near, like, where I live. And sort of, they would, like, pay me a little cash, but they mostly would pay me in clothes. And for a little while, in middle school and in high school, I would paint murals or do just, like, little odd jobs that was one of my other first jobs was I painted a mural for this uh, thrift shop. That was really cool. That's cool that they, um, you know, were willing to encourage like a young creator like that too, you know, to get you out there and start doing, doing stuff, you know, and make sure that you were being compensated in a way, you know, to do it. So that's pretty cool. I had a few, like I had a mentor as well who used to draw all the uh, 
punk show flyers at this venue called the Huntridge. It's a historical building from like the 50s. And they used to have all these uh, punk shows back back in the 90s. And I grew up going there for shows. I had been going to shows there since I was like 12. I looked up to as an artist who was like local. His name is Victor Moya. He's actually a comic book artist. But he also did all these punctual flyers. So I eventually, I remember I was like 13 and I somehow got my first um, punk flyer. The, the the band was like a ska band who I would go see sometimes. And, Which band uh, was it? They were called, they were a local band. They were called Attaboy Skip. And the lead singer like uh, knew I drew and he said, you can draw one of our sh- flyers. And of course, I didn't get paid for that, but I didn't care. I got into the show for free. So that was really cool. And the funny thing is that um, I started doing more flyers after that. Like people would give me like flyers I get to do, but that's how I got into a lot of shows for free as well. And that's also how I ended up having like a lot of friends who were in bands and whatnot. But this is the funny thing though. One of the flyers I drew, I for some reason drew like this really cross punk guy with like Liberty Spikes and like wearing all the like spike necklaces and stuff. And the show wasn't really a cross punk show. And all all these cross punk kids showed up at that show. And I remember thinking, <laughs> I I did this. You sold a bunch of tickets to the show. Were they mad? Or like, what the hell is this? They were probably like, this is false advertising. <laughs> no, it's really cool that you got opportunities like that, you know, to kind of you know, cut your teeth on like little local things that, you know, continue to build your skills, you know, as you were kind of developing your artistic style and sense, you know? Yeah. I, I like, I taught art for a little while when I was in New York. And when, when I talk to like the younger, the kids, the youths, I, I do like to talk about some stuff such as like being in school, right? Like you might not be the best artist. I was always like number two. Every time I had to have like an art battle, I don't know, Chris, if you ever had art battles in school, but yeah. I, never, <laughs> I never freaking won. I, I, I think I won one time, but it was always like my stuff was just a little cuter. There's always a guy that I was up against who did something a little more like awesome, you know, like flames or like a skull with flames and everybody's like, oh my God. <laughs> Like even That's if original. I did, even if I liked skulls too, my skulls would be kind of like somehow cuter and and I don't know. Anyway, like I remember I did one battle with this one kid, and I did, um, I think I did Garfield, and the guy did like a Transformer, like Optimus Prime, and I was like, damn it, how can I, how can I compete against this? But anyways, it's funny because like I remember like in high school, like we would do like peace battles, and like people would pick like one word. And the two different artists would do, like, their version of it. Thinking about the cute stuff, if you did that now, you'd probably win. Because it seems like every time, like, I see, like, the Secret Walls battle, the cuter piece wins. Yeah, well, like, the, I guess, like, the, maybe not technically as good piece, but the one that's, like, connects with the audience better. People aren't really like, oh, that's way harder to make. They're like, no, I like that. You know, it's it's the same way with like music and stuff. Now it's like, oh, the stuff that's like super easy to make is what's really popular because it just sounds cool. You know, it's catchy, <laughs> it gets in your ear. And then the stuff that's like technically good, people are like, eh, that's too much to listen to. It's it's the songs are too long. Yeah, interesting. I think people just don't have an attention span. They're like, wow, that took a really long time to paint. But this other thing's really cute. Kind of reminds me of Hello Kitty. Yeah. <laughs> 
tiny eyes and a smile. I don't know. People do. You know, it's kind of weird, like how that happens sometimes. It's kind of funny too, because I don't have a lot of time, and so if if I have time, I'll work on like something more epic. You know, I'll I'll spend time when I have it to like just develop like one painting. I have a painting in the corner of my studio right now that's just like this thing I've had going for like two years. I have other stuff that I bust out like in shorter amounts of time. It's just funny when there's one thing that you develop longer and then like people who are normally your fan or you they follow your stuff or they support your stuff because they like the simpler, cuter stuff that you do. It's funny when you show like, oh, well, this is what I also can do. And then they're like, whoa, what? You can, you can do that? <laughs> you know? I didn't well, know you can do that. Well, the, the newer pieces that uh, um, the sketches that you had done, they were like like super epic pieces. Like they had so much detail and little like hidden things in them. Oh yeah, that was really fun. I did the uh, month of August. I did an Augustus, my character Augustus. I did an Augustus uh, themed challenge, right? And it's funny because the whole point of it was just to give myself more opportunity to just draw, just to draw. Because this year is so crazy and like stressful, and we all still have all these other obligations and responsibilities and there's also creative work which I would rather do than like other kinds of work but then it's it work so there still needs to be like for your own personal development and your own personal well-being you need to make time to do just art to just do art a little tiny bit so it's funny because I didn't I decided like halfway through the month of August that I I really just wanted I got into just wanting to do this one epic like sketch where I would just include a bunch of the prompts in it mm. and and I just wanted to have that time to like just using the pencil like I never get to do that so those like month-long challenges are really interesting my attention span is shit I'll try to like do it but I end up doing like I'll, I'll stick to it for a few days and then all of a sudden I just start to trail off so yeah. I, I give you a lot of credit yeah no me too I mean and that was so fun because so many people participated. I had no idea. Like over, I think in the hashtag, we had almost a thousand different people's artworks. And during the months, I met like all these people from all over the world who were participating. And there were people who were just like, I'm so happy that you created this prompt list because like, I, I can't wait for October. And this is what's making me like want to get up in the morning or something like People are just, you know, they were having a rough, everyone, a lot of people are having a rough time. So it was just really nice to get that feedback and feel like other people are working on it too. And it, just the community feeling. I mean, I know a lot of the art prompts, that's the point for a lot of them, but some of the more popular ones sometimes feel like too much pressure. And I wanted to make sure that mine was really like laid back. When did you kind of, you know, decide I want to take my 2D artwork from 2D and then turn it into something 3D? And what was the first piece that you did that with? The first one that I sculpted was a ghostess, which is the ghost character. Before that, I had been doing customs here and there, like um, different toys that people either would send me or for a couple like group shows here and there. And actually, people in the toy community were really supportive and like uh, kind of encouraging me to do that. I I had a money like collecting dust on a shelf for like five years. I never customized it. I had no interest in customizing it. And I, I thought like every now and then like, should I paint this? Should I paint this? And I just 
wouldn't paint it. You know, when it was like a community effort type of thing and someone was like, hey, I'm going to send you this thing if you want to be in, in this show and customize it. I was actually more interested in, in that kind of exchange, the community aspect of it and the fact that people were so encouraging and like willing to give me tips on how to do stuff. So I, I learned all of that, how to heat up the vinyl and how to use the, the Sculpey and all that stuff. Back then I used Sculpey. I don't use Sculpey anymore, but, and then just actually had really a lot of fun painting 3d objects at that point. I realized I really liked painting 3d objects and I actually loved, I've always loved sculpting. I just never really got into it when I was younger because I just didn't have it available. All I had was like paper and a pencil or a pen. <laughs> so I, I actually love sculpting and I'm not a sculptor by any means. Even now I have stuff that I have already planned out, like how I'll add sculptural elements to stuff that I'm I'm working on. Augustus was the first one I sculpted and I sculpted that in Super Sculpey. The next one is Shumi Mushroomy, the mushroom spirit. And I sculpted that with monster clay. Graduated up to the monster clay, huh? Yeah, I had been watching some Twitch channels of uh, some really cool sculptors. She was using monster clay and it looked really fun. I had been wanting to make a Sufubi for a while. And Grody Shogun, Luke, from uh, Lulabelle, he uh, saw my post of me, like, sculpting the Shumis, and he was like, this would make a really good Safubi. And he knew I had been wanting to make a Safubi. So uh, at the time, my husband was already out in Thailand working. And me and my family were like, hmm, we've always wanted to go to Japan. So we decided to just go to Japan. My husband met us in Japan. And then uh, I dropped off the clay sculpt to Luke and decided to make that into a Sufubi. So that was my first Sufubi project. And uh, for those listening, uh, Luke that she's talking about is actually someone who makes a lot of toys um, for a lot of people um, in the Sufubi side of things. Uh, you know, a lot of times either cute stuff or like the monsters you see. Uh, a lot of stuff you would see like on Lulabelle's site. So pretty famous person in the designer toy scene, especially when it comes to Japanese-style toys. Grody Shogun. Yep, and he's an artist on his own, makes his own toys as well, like his own original designs. Around what yeah. what year did you sculpt this and decide to start making it? And also, uh, when, what year did you start kind of discovering getting into the designer toys? Well, that's a really good question. I, I've actually been into designer toys since early 2000s. Um, because, um, you know, I, I went, I was in New York and I was in New York city when like, you know, kid robot was there and everything. Um, you know, I was always into toys in general. Like I had like a few toys that I would collect, you know, I just didn't have a lot of money when I was younger. So otherwise I probably would have been a big collector, but, um, with the wanting to make toys, I would say, the first, like, Augustus, I think I sculpted it in, like, 2014. And I didn't starting to learn the resin casting process, the mold making and everything. I didn't start learning that until the following year. Because, I actually, I tried and I failed really badly. So, that's what happened. That's why it took me a while. I failed really badly. I made a huge mess. and It's like, never again. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I need to take a break from this. I need to, like, get my confidence back. And then, 2015, I tried again and I had learned more and I, and I had success. So 
then by the time Five Points Fest was coming around, I had decided to like go in and like make toys for the first Five Points Fest. So then I pulled all my stuff out and I made like a bunch, you know, and then that was also like I was still learning. I'm still learning now, but I was also like really making a lot of mistakes still at that at that time. So that was 2017, the first Five Points Fest, I think. Yeah, and so that was my first toy release uh, ever, which was the Resin Ghosts. And they were just like all one-offs and uh, had original art. And, you know, I didn't really get that focused, but everybody really loved the ghosts. It had a really good, I got a lot of good feedback about the ghosts. And so I kept making the ghosts, but I had always loved Sufubi. Like I, when I was in the early 2000s, I used to go to like Toy Tokyo and I would like hang around all the vintage Japanese stuff. Like I loved all that stuff. So I've always been a real big fan. And when I went to that first Five Points Fest, I realized like there's people here who make Safubis. <laughs> like I was, I was like so inspired. And so I just got like, you know, all these different people's contact information. The connection that really stuck was my connection, you know, with Luke. So anyway, that obviously worked out really well. Shumi has come a long way since then. And I think I first released the Shumis at DesignerCon 2018. And it was um three prototype release, three color. And that was crazy because it was like, I didn't know if I was going to have them at the event or not. They basically, I had just moved to Thailand three months before DesignerCon. And I had known I was doing DesignerCon for a while, but I didn't know I was going to be living in Thailand. That was a whole other thing. Like packing my entire house and my family within like a month, moving to a, another country. And I had to continue like prepping for DesignerCon. And then in November, I flew, flew back and I wasn't sure if my Sufubis would be ready or, or what. So then they were. They brought like a big box for me, which was awesome. Then the following year in February, I had my first uh, art show, group show, sh the Shumi show, which was at Code Corner in Bangkok. And that was really, really cool because I had international artists and all these Thai artists who are amazing. Everyone went all out. Like there were so many good pieces. And I, I was so like... I felt like really humbled because the support from all of the artists, they all came out. The artist who does Bakumba, Kick was super helpful. She does the character Key and she has some other new characters as well. But Kick was somebody who from the beginning has always given me tips and help, which I was like, you know, I really needed being in another country where a lot of things aren't in English and stuff like that. So Kick, Porin... Uh, the artist who does Black Hood Cat. I mean, I, I won't list everybody who is in the show, but oh, Ghost Fox Toys, actually, I met them at Decon, and that was their first ever custom show. Not a lot of people know that. Quix was in the show. Wonder Goblin was in the show. Yeah, it was a great show. It was a really awesome. You had some heavy hitters there. Yeah. yeah. If my toys hadn't shown up at DesignerCon, 
I wouldn't have been able to give the toy to all of those people. DesignerCon does work as kind of like a little hub, right? So, like, you know, if you're doing a show or something like that, you can bring toys with you and kind of hand them out, and people are like, oh, they're super excited to get them because they have to deal with shipping and all that. But it also helps kind of everybody's in one spot, so you can kind of ask people, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Do you want to be involved in it kind of stuff? So the networking that occurs at events like that, it's definitely something that's missing in 2020 conventions. For sure. The online ones you definitely miss the the networking aspect of it from a business side. I just locked in this week a space to host Shumi Show number three. Yeah, that'll be in February at this really, really nice art space slash cafe. They have like a gallery upstairs. It's really nice in a downtown part of Bangkok called Palette Art Space. That luckily will have some international artists in it, like because Decon last year, I was able to hand out some shoemies. But I'm not doing Decon this year. Virtual cons have been a, definitely an interesting thing to watch over the you know over the past eight months or so. Um, so it's it's definitely interesting to see how different companies are generating what they're doing and how they're doing it. I think I've said this on the show before, but I, I want to do something with Pop Shop. I don't know that it's I want to put like all my stuff on there and sell stuff on pop shop. Um, I kind of would rather use it as a chance to showcase projects and, you know, kind of like that aspect of what I see cons for, because mainly I use conventions as a way to promote what I'm doing and get people to look at the projects that I'm working on more than just the sales. So like, I, I feel like there's still a way to do that through pop, pop shop as well because you can call people in and you can do all kinds of stuff with it. So I may still try to do something, but um, it also is right around when my baby's supposed to be due, so I may or may not be able to do Wow, that. exciting. But um, I guess we should probably jump over to also, Corey put together and made a figure for you. You guys kind of collaborate on it. You had the sculpt, is my understanding, and then Corey was like, hey, we got to make this, and you guys put out the Mossy figure, which came out earlier this year. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about how that came came about? Yeah, sure. So I had been working on making a mossy figure just on my own, I guess back in 2018, I think I started to work on it. And then 2019, I had a friend who does 3D sculpting. So I asked her to help me put my drawings, you know, in there. And then I worked with her closely on getting it right. And then the 3D version, like the printout, the 3D resin printout, I was bringing it with me to Five Points Fest, right? 2019, Five Points Fest? It feels so long ago. Yeah, I had the two sizes, the little one and the one that we ended up going with. And then me and Corey had been chatting uh, already. And I was, because I was helping my friend bring his stuff to Corey to Five Points Fest for some release that they were doing. Um, yeah, it was uh, the Bakumba. You, you were nice enough to let us piggyback on your airplane ride. So I did that, and then we just kind of got to chatting a little bit after that. And then he reached out to me and was like, you know, hey, you wanna, I want to make this figure with you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, um, but it was really cool because when I was talking to Corey, you know, there were other ideas I had as well for possible directions to go with Mossy. Like, actually... Last year at Thailand Toy Expo, I had spoken to Leaders Works. They didn't seem open to the way the design was. And 
I didn't like that. So the thing that when I spoke to Corey, like we had exactly the same, we had like the same taste about it. It was really cool. Like he, he also agreed that the details on the top really makes the figure and he hates the seams when they're like right in the middle of the body. And I was like, yeah, I hate that. It was cool to see eye to eye and it just gave me like such a good vibe and made me really want to work with him and it's been great working with Corey. I highly recommend working with Corey. Oh, thanks. You've <laughs> been awesome to work with too. And hopefully we make lots more. Yeah, we're, we released Mossy this year and it happens to be like we it feels like we just squeaked it in there right before covid so that was kind of clutch worked out timing wise you know right before everything got shut down yeah and i honestly i feel like i'm really proud of the toy actually like really really proud of the toy i think it looks really really good and just in general i think it like looks great in a collection i love seeing all the people who have collected it. I like love seeing their photos and I see fun photos that some people post of like bringing it around with them. Like people seem to like to bring Mossy around to places with them. So like Mossy in the wild. Yeah. Like he's like a little totem. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I, I, I really enjoyed seeing that. I actually think that's one of the, the most fun parts about uh, making toys is seeing what people you know what they do with it how they display it and then like the people that take it with them or just you go go out of their way to take cool photos you know i think that's a really cool aspect because the figure kind of takes on a life of its own i guess and it's, it's like a super complimenting toy if you go anywhere in nature like i feel if we go to any parks or anything yvette's always like you want to bring mossy right I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah bring mossy i brought mossy we went camping for the first time in thailand about two months ago before I broke my foot, I, I've had a broken foot for the last two months. Yeah, we went camping, and of course, I had to bring Mossy. I had to bring the whole gang and take, do photo shoot. People are like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm doing my photo shoot. <laughs> and then uh, you also have um, done a bunch of, you know, done some plushes and stuff like that. What's it like working in that, you know, arena versus the vinyl toys, you know? Because it's kind of a totally different thing, really. It is. It's so interesting how it's like a totally different world in a way. It's it's connected, but it's a different world. It's like a niche within a niche. It's 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 just a totally different environment. And the people, a lot of times, the people that collect them are totally mutually exclusive. I guess you would say, like they aren't the same people. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I noticed that too. I have people who are more excited about the plush than the toys, and I have people who are only interested in the toys who have no interest in the plush. That's really interesting to me. I have uh, I have some fans or collectors who apparently have been eagerly awaiting my new plush that I just had been working on this year, which is going to be released for the first time through Hot Topic and Box Lunch. So that's um, by the time this airs, I guess the podcast airs, it should be It'll already have been live on their website. What's it uh, like making that leap and going from kind of making it yourself or indie kind of toys to working with like a big company like that? It's also been really stressful actually this year because of COVID. So I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. You know, I, I I'm super excited. It's a big opportunity. They have my whole collection, and I had to learn a lot to make that all happen. I had to learn a lot of things that I normally have no interest in knowing (laughs) all kinds of things I had to learn about like uh, 
freight shipping and just all all these technical it's like all the little details that like Corey took care of last time yeah <laughs> yeah just like and and i'm really um I'm, I'm super ocd so like there's certain things about like uh codes and all these other things that i had to learn and i i had some help i had some some people who were who gave me some tips but at the end of the day it's still me who has to like you know, figure everything out. And then the good news is that it went through, but actually there, I don't even know if I really want to share this, but there was like a scary part of it, of it where, you know, because of the situation with COVID budget cuts and all these things. And, you know, I had just shipped like all my whole plush collection to the States and it was all going to the warehouse and everything and I heard that like they were trying to cancel the order (laughs) I was ready to like just die (laughs) and I guess that just comes along with uh when you're doing business and big business and you know you're small and you're that well known yet and things like that like you're uh, expendable well especially too with like a pandemic and all that kind of stuff you know like there's a lot of crazy stuff that happened this year, you know, for, and it, it definitely affected businesses of all sizes. Um, but big businesses are mostly focused on their bottom line and they forget about the people that they're affecting. I don't know. It's just like so interesting how it could like totally ruin someone who is a, a smaller business, you know, like you invested in this anyway. The good news is they're doing it. Yeah. And hopefully it will go well and, you know, there's other, um, my plush will hopefully continue spreading throughout other retailers as well. And I have plans for more plush coming up. I've, I've already been like working on three new plushies. So they have three now and there's going to be, so that's Mossy, Agostus and Chris Boo, the Chris, Crystal Spirit. And I'm working on a Shumi plush, a Scully Bones plush and a Bobo plush. That's uh that's very cool and you know congrats on you know making that leap and uh, getting your product out in like mainstream stores where everybody that walks in there can see it you know it's it's a lot different than you know right now for most designer toy folks the outlets are either online or you know the few stores that you know carry stuff around the United States or in you know the larger scale over in Asia um, for certain toys but you know that's getting out into like a store that's at the mall or in you know shopping places like that that's a that's a major achievement a major accomplishment so I commend you like again like it's it's super exciting and then I also just I just I feel really like it's a good time to have a plush that you want to hug so hopefully we'll be like yeah I need this you mentioned you broke your foot do you want to skip by that or you want to go into that I, I did break my foot. I spent the last two months helping um, my kids school out because all the teachers are still stuck in their countries when school started. So I was subbing and I took on this pretty intense role because all, all of a sudden I was like the full-time teacher for a pre-K class. I didn't really realize that I was going to be the first teacher that a bunch of two-year-olds have ever had in their life. And I had to like take on this role and it was really intense and I broke my foot the first week like on this little step in the classroom in this yeah in this little um teacher's nook so it was like the first week was going really well by the end of the week 
And so it was like this commitment where I kept thinking to myself, like, I'm not going to just, I could easily just like not come back and just like heal or I can figure out a way to make it work and come back because I don't want to make like a difficult situation for these kids. Like they, they're, it's their first experience. They're like learning how to go to school, you know? And it was, it was a weird thing. I, I, I continued doing it with a broken foot and it wasn't easy. It was probably like not until four weeks in where we finally had like a really, really good week. <laughs> by the end, by the time the teacher came back, they were all like, totally good like they knew their routines they the team that we had was super tight we like there's a you know nanny and there's like two t there's a ta and two nannies and we just had like a really good flow everything was awesome so by the time the teacher came from australia you know everybody was all good to go everything was the kids knew how to do circle time they knew how to pretty much do everything already (laughs) But yeah, that was really, really difficult. That was actually my the last two months of my life were really rough. And then having to also come home and try to do other work, like my own personal projects. I mean, it was I was exhausted. So I wasn't getting very much sleep for the last two months. And then this is the flip side. I was super happy and like super busy as soon as I stopped going in. And my foot started to be well enough that I could like walk on it. So as soon as I got out of there, I was starting to be able to walk on my foot and doing all my work and getting stuff done at home and like in my studio and then like last week I just felt really bummed out and so depressed and I was like what's wrong with me and then I asked my husband and he was like you miss the kids (laughs) (laughs) you're right I've been around like all these we totally bonded I've been around these like little toddlers for two months straight so so for your characters they all have they all live within one realm kind of like is there like a, a backstory that they all are connected within? Yeah, there's a there's a story. I wish I had more time to just sit and like work on the story. I have a whole backstory for Augustus and Augustus like I came out with a mini comic that kind of gave the a little peek into the backstory of Augustus. Basically I have a plan to like reveal Augustus and the connection to uh, some of the other characters. But basically there's like a magical forest where they all live and there's like a portal through a tree where you can kind of enter the regular human world. But this forest where they all live is is like a safe zone. Nice. It's awesome. Stuff like that's incredible. Like backstories to characters is, is just a whole nother art form. Definitely appreciate that. I really do tend to do the creepy cute themes. I like to have like a death is a part of life sort of approach not make it seem super like dark and negative you know I kind of like to sort of incorporate like that the discussion of death without being like super creepy and negative about it do you know what I mean I think the 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 creepy and and negative part to death comes from a lot of cultures especially in especially in America. I mean, it's almost like we mourn the dead so much. And in other countries and other cultures, it seems like they celebrate them more instead of just being sad they're gone. I always thought that was really cool. Like in um, the Latin cultures, how they celebrate the life of this person and all all that they've brought to... So anyway, just throwing it to a ghostess though real quick. There's something in the storyline where like I've developed characters and there's a connection to a ghostess so 
So there's a reason why he's still hanging around. Nice. I was the culture in, in Thailand as far as like designer toys. Like I love like, I, I guess any Thai artists that I see from over there, I love all their work. So uh, how does it kind of translate to the public? Is it like sought after? Do a lot of people know about it? And it's like a common thing versus, you know, here, not very many people know. It's like super, super niche. I would say it's, it's still niche, but that's interesting. I don't know how to, I think because of the way it's perceived in the U.S., it affects how you think of it, maybe how it might be in other places, you know? But here, it's almost like if you're an artist and you do illustrative stuff, if you can draw characters, it's almost like, do you have stickers? Do you have a toy? Do you have this? Like, it's almost <laughs> like, don't you? You know, it, it, it's kind of interesting here. It's very, um, people are so, like, for the most part, really, really put together it whipped me into shape really quick while I was here because I just saw like there were just certain things it seemed like it was a these are basics like you have a toy you do this you should do this too you should be able to do this and even to the extent of like being able to paint a wall you know it's almost like you know I've been around the graffiti world for for a really long time I've had like I grew up with friends who were like you know serious graffiti artists and they just did graffiti like they were true graffiti artists. There's a difference between like that being able to paint a wall. It's kind of interesting because nowadays, since it's not like such a, it's not as much like the illegal culture anymore. It's like this other thing. It seems like a lot of artists, if you can paint, like you should also partially be able to paint walls. I don't know how to explain it. Not everybody can, obviously, but there's just like a certain check boxes you should be able to check if you're an artist you should be able to check this box and this box and this box and of course there's artists who are like no I don't check that box and it's okay and that's fine too it's just it's so funny like I was at the first group event that I have done was in August right after I broke my foot and everybody in there had certain things and I felt like for the first time in my life I felt like why don't I have washi tape I just had washi tape like everywhere recently yeah, like a, wait, what? Wait, what? What is this? It's like now that's the new sticker thing, Chris. It's like if you if you don't have oh, you boy. gotta come out you gotta come out with your own roll of this like de decorative tape with your characters on it. It's like the next thing, you know. So what, like, like the duct like duct tape, how it has like patterns on it now? Yeah, it's more like masking tape, though, right? Skinnier, yeah, it's skinnier. Oh. It's more like masking tape, like paper tape. It's really thick. You could be the introduction to washi tape for the States. Oh, so I can't get it from Sticker Mule for $19 a roll or whatever? <laughs> no. I think that the U.S. will start to catch on eventually, but it's here in Asia, it's like you should have sticker sheets, you should have washi tape. I mean, it, it, it's just like all of those things for us, which was like enamel pins and and stickers and in the states it's like here they're in everything so there's a lot of things like that that i'm working on getting together okay also everyone uses ipad pro and that's obviously caught on everywhere in the world but i don't have one my husband's had one and i've been like meaning to borrow it and i finally borrowed it from him and it it's taken forever to charge because he has like the first one, the first generation. But the reason why is because when I was at that event in August, everyone did almost everything they had on iPad Pro. And everyone, and I was like, not the only one, but I was one of the few people who had all this, 
you know, obviously analog art, like hanging and like, I had all my, my prints and I had like, and they were all like, people came up to my booth and were like, is that a real painting that like made with ink? Sounds like Chris. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what happened to me at that one five point. Somebody handed me a iPad to sign. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? And like, oh, you just, you know, you, you draw a character. I'm like, first off, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And then second off, I was like, if I do that. Now you could actually take my character and do whatever the hell you want with it. Oh. Like, I'm like, I'm not, I wasn't cool with it. I was like, this just was weird to me. You know, if you're signing a black book, I mean, it's something different. You know, it's, it would take time for them to actually like, have to scan it and do all this other stuff. But with like, the iPad, it was just like, they literally could just manipulate the hell out of it. I didn't and even I just, think of that. Yeah, that, 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 and they could just like literally like print it on whatever they want. I literally just did like something super simple and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this again. I was like, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, and I, I people get, make fun of me all the time about not using the iPad because I'm like, first off, like everything is created in like Procreate and all these different things now. For me, I'm like, I draw it, I scan it, bring it to Photoshop, do whatever I got to do. It takes me like 10 times longer, but at least I feel like I have some kind of connection to the piece. Like there's just something weird about just drawing it. Like especially like with a lot of those like brushes, it's like automatically doing the lines for you. They'll be thinner in the certain areas automatically. You know what's cool is what you're saying right now. I think you guys talked about this in one of your podcasts I listened to. And someone was saying how it everything's becoming kind of homogenized because of all of those right? Yeah. Someone said yeah. something like it's the truth. I mean, it's just looking at a lot of these artists and their line work is so similar. And mm -hmm. it's all just becoming the same because they don't have to worry about catching a line and, 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 you know, the flow of a line because literally they just pull it and tweak it and all these other things. I, I don't know. To me, it's, it's, it just kind of takes away the hand of it. I agree. You know? I'm with you on that. And I also think it's going to be one of those things where you're going to have to keep up with all that stuff and like all the new things you're going to have to keep up with like something, right? It's always something's going to happen and it's going to be this new thing and you're going to have to keep up on that too. But at the same time, you have to continue doing the like normal analog stuff. Like you have, if you have that skill already, you it'll become like a rare thing, right? Like you can't, like it doesn't ever. It's true. Like you have to, you have to be able to adapt at the same time. I mean, you know, you still have, I mean, like, for example, I, I'm clueless with a lot of the toy stuff, but like with the Safubi stuff, like you guys talk about how there's certain people who make it and like, those are the guys you want to make it. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like the same kind of like, like thought process. There's like, there's going to be the people who, you know, are still doing it. Like I, even like when I do canvases, you know, and I'll, like, paint, like post a video of me like using a paintbrush i'll get like a ton of comments asking me like do i really use a paintbrush or do i use a marker and it's like mm -hmm. what do you mean it's like well yeah you know the consistency and all this stuff i'm like no use a paintbrush i'm like i'll use a marker on something like you know quick and simple but like a yeah. painting i'm using a brush and it's yeah. like a lot of these kids almost don't get it <laughs> it's weird yeah it's weird i know what you're talking about it, it's also like youtube right i love youtube but I also hate YouTube. And part of the reason is because you, you get all these young people to watch like this super popular tutorial video. And they really think that this step-by-step -step process, this is how you create art correctly. And I'm sorry, but everyone has their own process. And you can get from point A to point, point B any way you want. You don't have to follow this person's like exact 
step-by-step tutorial. In fact, you're taking away the organic process that comes along with making mistakes that you can build on. And just like there's like so much stuff to making a piece that you're happy with. And when you have it all like clinical like that, like, you know, it's a little frustrating. I don't, I get a little frustrated. I, I, you know, I did art like before YouTube. I know you did too. So it's kind of like, you know, one of those things where um, when my kids are watching like a tutorial, sometimes I'm like, okay, now draw without YouTube on. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's funny you say that because my wife, she's a makeup artist and Mm. she works for Mac and all these people will talk to her and basically just want what they saw in a YouTube tutorial. And she'll be like, but those colors don't match you. Mm. And these customers don't understand that. Like they just saw this, you know, YouTuber, like use this shade of lipstick or this foundation. And that's what they got to get. And she's like, but it's not going to work on you. And they literally will like argue with her. And she gets to the point where she's like, okay. And then, you know, two days later, the person comes in and wants to return something. It's, it's weird how that whole kind of like, I don't want to say generation, but that, that, that generation is kind of in the culture. It's, it's crazy. It's a flooded market, right? So making YouTube videos and, and all that stuff, there's value to it. And I understand that, but there's also, there's something wrong (laughs) with, there's something wrong with the culture behind it and how it's affecting, especially young people. That's what I want to say, because they don't have experience. They don't have the experience without like pre YouTube, so it's. Yeah. Do you have any uh, other upcoming events that you uh, are participating in? Yes, I do. I have. Uh, we have an all Halloween art toy show coming up in Bangkok. That's at a space called Penta in Ekamai on the fourth floor, and we have a bunch of Thai artists joining us for that. Also, I have. I'm going to be in some group shows, but also I have a solo show coming up at Strange Cat in January. Pretty excited. So I'll be working hard to get ready for that. And uh, I'm participating in Taipei Toy Festival. That's a virtual show. For international artists, it's virtual. And I'm splitting a booth again with Zachi from Singapore. He does uh, the, as Americans know him as Ziki, Ziki Wu. <laughs> but it's I have Z- lots Z- of his dino. I think I forgot to mention that I do have a toy coming out next year with clutter the girl from the forest floor and we me and Corey have some new mossy colorways coming out that are looking amazing and my plush my plush collection is now available online at hot topic and box lunch we have a collab sticker in the works we do we have a collab sticker in the works and guess what i'm gonna try to use the procreate that i was talking (laughs) trash about (laughs) talking all that trash if it doesn't work out i'll just analog it well guys we've been talking for a while so let's go ahead and start to wrap this episode up mumbot if you want to go ahead and toss out your social media so people can find you on the old internet i am at mumbot on instagram facebook twitter which i never use and uh chris uh, at chris rwk and at robots will kill and Corey. strange cat toys and all social medias and strangecattoys.com and I'm Travis Likens. You can find me at UVD Toys or UVDtoys.com. Before we roll out, we do want to take a second to thank our sponsors. First up, we have Stickerfied, Stickerfied.com, No Love City, NoLoveCity.com, SD Prince, SDScreenprinting.net, and TYO Toys, TYOtoys.com. This has been the Urban Robot Cat Podcast, the show about art and the people who make it. We-